Hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Joe. Hello, Charles. But not as always, we've also got a special guest with us who's a fellow listener and somebody who currently sits at the very top of our Pickham's League. So seeing that we're kind of breaking the Premier League season for the Winter World Cup, we thought we'd have a kind of mid-season point here where uh, we talk to a fellow guest and, and someone that, well, if nothing else, is good at guessing the outcomes of games. So welcome, Jamie, to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, it's good to be here. Psychic Jamie, great to have you on board. I was about to say, I don't think anyone's had a particularly good week this week because, again, there are a few fairly big upsets, I'd say. Um, yet Jamie still has come top of our weekly pick by some distance. So, uh, Jamie, where did you call it? Where did you see the upsets? I'm going to let you and the, the listeners in on a little secret here, actually. And that is, uh, I'm kind of kind of cheating a little bit with the with these picks. Is uh, I do take a little look at the the Vegas odds and the spreads that the Vegas think is going to get, and that usually usually informs my my decision. So I'll see that Vegas has uh, has someone by minus seven. Maybe I'll pick them to win by six. Pick them to win by eight. Something like that. So that's kind of that's kind of been my my, my secret sauce. This probably explains why I'm losing at uh, our pick'em and also losing a lot of money gambling this year as well. <laughs> but I'm, do you know what? It just it worries you, doesn't it? How close Vegas so often get it. But then I suppose they've got the information that you know a lot of us just simply don't have the time to follow who's injured, how important they are to the team. They've got all the big data, all the stats. So yeah, if in doubt, go with Vegas. There you go. Might have to start doing that going forward. Let's talk about the Jets at the Patriots again. Uh, I mean, arguably, it was a close game on paper, but the Jets have been playing really well this season, and it's the second time that they've met up with the Patriots, and it's the second time again that they've lost, um, albeit in a slightly different fashion this time, Joe. Yeah, uh, quite a heartbreaking end for the Jets at the end of that game with a pump return. Now, we spoke about refs quite a lot last week, so uh, let's try and avoid that too much this week. There was a bit of a dodgy call. It looked like there were some illegal blocks in that punt return, and if the laws had been to the book, that should have been called back. But either way still, when you're going at 2.7 inches a play in terms of offense in a half, you're probably not going to score too many points, are you? No, definitely not. And the Patriots' defense, we've said this before, it's, it, the Patriots have always based their teams around good defense. It, they've been a bit erratic this season, but there have been a few games where they've really showed up, and I felt that this was certainly one of those. And here's the thing, though. How much of it was the Patriots showing up in terms of defense, and how much of it was Zach Wilson and the Jets' offense just not turning up? Because that's been where the focal point has been after this game in terms of the attitude that Zach Wilson went to the media with. Well, he certainly wasn't forthcoming with regards to accountability. I think that's for sure. Do you think he should have taken accountability for a performance like that? Personally, I think you, you have to as a leader on the field, whether you believe it's your fault or not. Because I don't think that putting yourself above that as a quarterback yields the best results like if you're not willing to take some accountability for the lack of offense and you start chewing out your defense 
do you think they're going to rally around you and, and give you what you need? Or do you just think they're going to hang you out to dry? I do think that it is a, it is a team sport. And even if you think you played the best game in the world, it's it's especially as a leader in the quarterback position, you have to go in there and you have to say, look, I didn't play well. There were maybe other areas of our game that we need to improve, but you have to at least accept that you're a part of that. To shy away from it completely just seems like madness. I'm semi-playing devil's advocate here because I'm not necessarily saying that I have this viewpoint. But do you feel that sometimes there's an insincerity from quarterbacks to put things on their shoulders and go to the media and say, got to be better, got to get better next week, I've got to improve, if it's, 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 it's down to me. All these kind of things that we hear quarterbacks say week in, week out when they lose. And it becomes a little bit empty after a while when they're just saying this every time there's a loss. So do you think that Zach Wilson's just been real here? Or do you think that he genuinely should have stood up and taken responsibility because it was genuinely down to him in some ways that they lost the game? <sighs> I, I don't know if they're necessarily mutually exclusive. I mean, I think that, yes, I think you're absolutely right that we hear that from quarterbacks all the time. There's a lot of it where you think that's quite disingenuous. But I think in, in this scenario, I do think that Zach had a stinker and he he should be standing up for that. And even if he doesn't feel he should, I think that is definitely a scenario where it's tough enough to argue whether you were partially to blame for it or not. So just take the L on this and pitch in with your teammates because otherwise I think it creates division. Yeah, it's quite a bro thing with uh, Zach Wilson, really, where the media has been quite so fixated on that 2.7 inches of offense per play. And it's almost like Zach Wilson is like, I swear, bro, it's at least four or five inches. But that's kind of where he's coming from with it. Question for both of you guys, just to take a poll on this. Do you think that Salah is being straight when he's saying that he's not naming Zach Wilson as a starter for next week? Do you think that he genuinely has doubt about who his starter is? Or is this just him playing games with Wilson to show him that he can drop him if he wants to? I'll throw out a couple of stats just really quickly. Zach Wilson has started seven games this season. He's 5-2 and two in those games. So that by itself makes him look like a winning quarterback. Admittedly, though, in those games, he's only thrown four touchdown passes. Joe Flacco, on the flip side, is 1-2 and two in the three games he started at the start of the season for the Jets. However, he threw five touchdown passes, four in one game against the Browns. So in one game against the Browns, he's had as many touchdowns as Wilson did in seven games across the rest of the season. Do you think Salah's been serious or do you think that Salah is just keeping Wilson on his toes? For me, I always take this kind of stuff with a, with a grain of salt that I hear from the coaches. I think, I think a lot of times their, their mind is made up no matter what they say to the media. They say one thing and they, they've already made their, their decision from what they've seen in previous games or from in training. So I think in these situations where it is one quarterback or, a, or another player going up against a, a, a teammate, could be playing, could be starting... I think in, in most cases, the coach already knows what he's going to do and he's just trying to get a reaction or he's trying to provoke something from the other guy. So are you saying that we're going to see Wilson start on Sunday? Uh, I'm not sure if that's the case. I'm, I think maybe he'll have just said it just to get a response from him. Maybe he's already made the decision that it will be the other way around, but I think, I think it's more to, to do with man management rather than anything tactical. It's a tough one, right? Because you, you're absolutely right. When you look at the wins and losses, Wilson's your man. But they've been playing some nice football while Wilson's come away and he's come back and he's not looked great since his return. And I'm not putting that all on Wilson, but I think as a head coach, you maybe do have to take a step back and you say, look, for whatever reason, it 
hasn't worked as as well as we thought it would, him coming straight back into the team. And maybe he does just get half a game to sit on the bench to begin with just to to bring him into it. But I think with what Jamie's saying, you know, it, that's it's quite a stark decision that to bench Wilson sends a real message and as they're trying to bring him on I just don't think that Salah's going to undermine him like that and, and take him out of the knees so I think for that reason it's probably media bluster but I don't know for how much longer that's the case because there comes a point where you suddenly do have to make a decision and and look hey maybe Zach isn't the guy for the rest of the season if his performances don't improve I, I, I kind of see it the same as you, Charles. I think that the alternatives to Wilson just aren't there. And as good as Flacco may have looked in certain games, there's no future to Flacco. He's been around for so long. He's been around the block more times than an Amsterdam bicycle. He's not the future for this franchise. He's probably gone retired by the end of the season. So upsetting Wilson to the extent that you would do by benching him for more than like a half maybe would be so damaging to the long-term prospects of that player. I just don't really think it's a road he wants to go down. I think it's media talk. I think it's just to put a rocket up him. But let's see. Could be totally wrong on this. And before we move on from the Jets then, Joe, obviously listeners of the show will know that Source Gardner, he's our golden boy for this season. But I just wanted to to talk about Aidan Hutchison briefly because he has been balling. And I suppose if we're looking at top performing young defensive players, there's competition there. And he now has the same amount of interceptions that Source Gardner has. And in terms of his sack count, it's, it's phenomenal. Do you think there's a risk here that... Hutchinson can challenge for that title from source because a few games ago we were saying look he probably only needs one or two absolutely stellar games and and he's got defensive rookie of the year all bagged up do you think that's still the case uh no it's between those two players you're absolutely right to bring up Aiden Hutchinson he's looked mightily impressive in several games the awareness it's all those things that you listed there but it's his awareness his motor his football brain he's really looked for the real deal I think he's definitely showing why he should have been the top pick of a league he's been outplaying Trayvon Walker massively this year uh Aiden Hutchinson a lot of analysts said he was more NFL ready and that's just coming through strong so it, it looks like the Lions were extremely lucky that he fell to them in uh, second pick overall. If you look at where the trajectories of the seasons are going right now, Source, I, I hate to really kind of use this term, but he's got that kind of, there's that sexiness to him in terms of everyone talking about him, everyone saying that he's the DROY. He's in a big market. He's in New York. He's getting more prime time. time. These things play into it. There's things that play into the rookie of a year chat more than just what happens on the field. So, where sources in terms of that, he's got the advantage, but it's hard to ignore Hutchinson the way that he keeps on playing. So it's going to be great to see how the you know second half of the season goes for these guys and um, and which way it goes. But look, it's nice to have good players coming through a draft, and you know hopefully a few more players step up. Great. So why don't we zoom on over and let's well wrap up this series of international games. We. Spoke about the two London games. Last week we spoke about the Munich game. And now we had our final game over in Mexico with the 49ers. Joe, what were your thoughts on that game? 
first of all, just one thing I want to bring out on this one is that it's nearly always California teams or Southwestern teams that seem to be playing in Mexico. Yeah, definitely. I know that's clearly a strategy that Visa supported teams in those kind of regions, but for the long-term future of the international series in Mexico, I wonder how strong the game would be there if you didn't have these teams going out there. What would things look like if it was Detroit versus Pittsburgh, the Browns versus the Dolphins? Would there be as much support for it out there? Now, the atmosphere was supposed to be really good, maybe not onto the levels of Germany as we spoke about last week, but that's just my first thought on that kind of stuff. One thing I would like to ask, especially with Jamie on the show this week, Jamie, you live in Canada. Yes, I currently live in Calgary. Before I was in, uh, I was in Vancouver until very recently. Great. And do you think that there could be an NFL series game coming to Canada anytime soon? It feels like probably the most logical place for it to perhaps have even started, given that a number of the major US sports leagues already play in Canada just with regular teams. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of an interesting thing, because especially where I was living before in Vancouver, there were a lot of people who would go down to Seattle. It's like a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour drive, and they'd be watching the Seahawks if they could get tickets. Same thing happens in Toronto. People go just across the border to watch the Buffalo game if they can. I think there is a huge market right there. Um, there is also Canadian football. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the differences, but that, that's a, a relatively big sport. It's basically American football, but not as, not as fun. Nowhere near as good to watch. So there's definitely the market there. And I'm honestly a little bit surprised that there, there hasn't been more talk about that, um, about international series going north of the border. Well, just what you've touched on there maybe raises up even bigger questions. It's well known that the National Football League doesn't have a feeder league in the same way that Major League Baseball has all the farming systems where developmental players can go out and learn their trade. There's been talk previously about perhaps Canadian football being the feeder league, the minor leagues for American football. So going into that territory and kind of working out that deal could be a way forward. Equally, though, on what you say there about fans being able to drive into the US and just cross the border to see games, it maybe negates the need slightly for games to be played out there. But I'm sure there's certain areas in Canada where it's a lot harder to just cross the border. I'm guessing perhaps in Calgary, where you are now, it's it's not as simple as just taking a two-hour car drive to go and watch a game. But it's been spoke about a lot, and it would be very interesting to see what the National Football League does in terms of expanding into Canada going forward. Right. I think the main problem is, is like those two cities I just mentioned, Vancouver and Toronto, are the, the two most populated in, in Canada. The rest of Canada is not very densely populated, so it would be difficult to support a full, like a market there, like for sure. Yeah. But definitely for some of the international series games, I think, I think it could be a real winner. Very interesting. Well, watch this space. In terms of a Mexico game, though... It was a bit of a blowout. San Fran destroyed the Cardinals. A quick question. This wasn't on the agenda, but just a quick poll on you guys. How long does Kingsbury have left? How long is that leash on him? Do you think he's going to make it to the end of the season? If he makes it to the end of the season, will he be coaching the Cardinals next season? I think they'll give him the end of this season. There was the disruption with Hopkins obviously being out for the first half of the games. I don't know if he'll still be here next season i think like they might because i i I think they're almost writing this off almost i think they'll they'll give kingsbury the leash for this season say see what you can do see if you can get us into playoff spot but if you don't you're gone because they have invested a lot in this team they went out in a big way to get hopkins they went out in a big way to get Watt. 
Yep. And really with not a lot to show for it in terms of tangible playoff performances. So I think you have to say, unless you do something pretty impressive this season, but I think they will give him, if not all, at least the majority of this season, I'd be really, really surprised if Cardinals miss playoffs and they bring back Kingsbury. And let's be honest, they probably are going to miss playoffs, aren't they? The... I'd have thought so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because with the NFC East being so strong, you could make a case for maybe all four of those teams making playoffs. Won't happen, but all four of them are definitely in the mix. You probably will get at least three of those teams, most likely Eagles, Cowboys, and probably Giants. But Washington aren't too far off. So for a division like the NFC West, getting a playoff spot as a wild card is going to be extremely hard. You've got San Fran who are going very strong. You've got Seahawks 6-4 as well. Those two teams are going to be taking playoffs. Uh, your Rams, your Cardinals, for all, unless they go on a big run right now, they're out of it. And playoffs just aren't on the cards there at all. And let's not forget as well, um, it probably won't happen this season, but the Cardinals have been terrible in the second half of seasons for the last two years. So there's not much to really cling on to to hope that they're going to go on this run. Yeah, and actually that's a really good point because we've talked about this in the past and we say that one of the major issues with the Cardinals is they're not very adaptable. And so teams tend to work them out about halfway through the season. They don't change their style of play regardless and then they have a downed you know, second half of the season because teams are clocked on to what they're doing. I think because they haven't had Hopkins for the first seven games or whatever it was, their playbook probably isn't looking as tired as it normally is by this time in the season. So they actually might be okay. But I think even if their play didn't depreciate, they still look like a bad team now. So you're asking a lot for them to go on a big run and get into the playoffs. Especially with Call of Duty and Warzone 2 coming out recently. I mean, Kyler Murray's been pretty <laughs> occupied going forward, isn't he? <laughs> Do your homework, Kyler hasn't won a game since Call of Duty came out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. What about Jimmy G then? Because we talked about the Cardinals. I know that at the beginning of the series this year, we spoke about the implications of keeping Jimmy G on as a backup quarterback. Then when he went out, you know, we were saying the 49ers are left in a very precarious position because if Jimmy G goes on and smashes it, then what have they done mortgaging the farm for Trey Lance? If he is dreadful, then what are they doing paying so much money for a backup quarterback? So ideally, you wanted Jimmy G to be very middling so you can say, look, what a wonderful, wise, forward-thinking decision we made. He's looking good at the moment, isn't he? He's looking good. And right now, if Trey Lance came back and just was miraculously healthy right now, would you drop him in this team? Would you really take Jimmy G out and put Trey Lance in right now? And I think that the answer, if you look into your heart, is no. You wouldn't you put Trey Lance into this team. And the way the team has developed going through this season, they've brought on CMC. They've got Elijah Mitchell coming back as well. They've got a good running back room. So you still want a quarterback who's going to pass the ball. Yes, you could try to play like the Ravens and just basically have everyone just running the ball. But I think that to be a dynamic team, you want someone who's probably got a better arm than legs. And that's what Jimmy G brings. This team is looking more and more like a team that's suited to Jimmy G's skill set than it is to a player like Trey Lance. So while they're winning, while they're making playoffs, I think that this 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 conversation won't really be a conversation that's out there. But unless they literally go all the way and win the big game, 
this conversation will pop up. And I think that the answer is an extremely awkward one for the front office now. And then another, well, headache removed for one front office. We've seen Melvin Gordon leave us this week, Joe. Melvin Gordon, how a mighty fool. So uh, he's had a bad case of fumbleitis this season. Five fumbles, two lost. Broncos have decided to cut ties with him. And they must have really not wanted him to stay around because it's not like they're exactly healthy in the uh, running back room. Yeah, that was an odd one. What have they saved from a cap or financial perspective? Because... It's basically saving them nothing at all in terms of cap space. Less than half a million. It's nearly all dead money. 2.25 dead money on his contract. They just didn't want him around. It seems that it almost feels a little bit like they've scapegoated him for the loss on Sunday by this move right now. It's saying the fumble was your fault. We didn't score a touchdown at the end of the first half. That's your fault. And we're going to make you a scapegoat. But, but they want him out because they don't really have that many running backs around. Javonte Williams, obviously on IR for the whole season. Had Javonte Williams stayed healthy, maybe we would have seen Melvin Gordon go sooner. I, I guess the only thing that we've got going for him is that Mike Boone might be coming back pretty soon. Odd. Why not just keep him around? Even if you're not going to use him, even if you're going to bench him. To get rid of him is such a strong statement. I just wonder if there was anything deeper than the play and the fumbles. Yeah, but they've never really said anything about character issues with him previously. But look, the problem is, right, I I don't think there's a very strong veteran running back market out there. Devonta Freeman, maybe Carlos Hyde are out there. But you look between those players. Carlos Hyde, we can't keep bringing him back, can we? Well, this is it, right? And that, that, so that's a pretty tenuous, tenuous player. But name me a veteran running back who's out there ready to be picked up now, who's fit and healthy practicing. I mean, that's like Lethal Weapon 9, isn't it? It's like when you start bringing <laughs> Carlos Hyde back into your team now, it's like we've seen the sequel many times before. Let it die now. Let it, let it peacefully head off to the pastures. Yeah, normally that I'd say like Latavius Murray, but he's already at the Broncos, so he's normally no way. the yeah. So he's so so he's the veteran RB who's nearly not always you know on the market ready to drop in, but he's already at the Broncos. So there's just so little veteran talent out there that I'm pretty confident Melvin Gordon will get picked up by someone at some point who'll think that they can sort his fumbleitis out. But yeah, uh, surprising move by the Broncos this week. Well, Joe, I know this was going to be a slightly shorter episode because I'm currently out in Europe watching some of the World Cup. You have only just flown back from America yourself and are probably jet-lagged beyond belief. So thank you for for joining. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Right, Joe. So uh, we've got a, a host of games this Thursday night, more than the regular one. We've got Bills and Lions this week and Giants and Cowboys, thanks to some of that nice Thanksgiving action. We've glossed over the Vikings and, and Cowboys game this week, but let's see let's see how the Vikings fare Thanks. against the Patriots. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> and we'll see how the Cowboys fare against the Giants, and maybe let's regroup next week to figure out uh, how those two teams are standing after the shock upset this week. Yeah, some really exciting ones. It's the battle for the uh, NFC East, really, with the Giants and the Cowboys, 9.30 Thursday night. Really looking forward to that one, and... Um, Hoping the Vikings can bounce back after that atrocious performance Sunday afternoon. Well, until next week, Joe, uh, we'll speak then. And a goodbye from Jamie too. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Thank you very much, Jamie. It's been great to have you on.